Can somebody tell the Australian cricket team that taking singles is not illegal in an easy run chase? I think one thing I will say before I introduce the podcast is I've got hair on my head at the moment, but if Australia continue to play in this way, uh, I won't have hair on my head for much longer. Um, we'll well, talk good about good that. for you. Australia doesn't play a lot. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Thank goodness for that. Um, before we talk about, uh, of course, Australia and everything else that's going on um, in the world of cricket at the moment, who's a, a man who's already introduced himself, Nash, how's it going? <laughs> I think you're yeah, welcome right. to the episode, Shabel. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, all the listeners. Um, I'm glad you're everyone up is the, having um, a good time with so many sporting events happening all over the um, all over the world. And um, congrats to Italy on winning the mm. European Championships, and congrats to Argentina on winning the Copa America. It went congrats to, to India women's winning the T20 yesterday, um, last night. So welcome, everyone. Uh, and, and we course. do have a very special guest today in our podcast, and we'll speak about him. Um, um, much later today in this in this episode. So, but to answer your question, Shabel, I'm um, I'm doing good. It was a good weekend. Um, also was for you. Yep. And there was one Aussie. Doing? How are there you was doing? One, there was one Aussie who made us very proud. That was Ash Barty winning Wimbledon yes. over the weekend. Yep, definitely. Maybe we, maybe we can turn this into a tennis podcast today instead of cricket. For you. Um, <laughs> So in, in addition to Australia completely flopping in the first two T20s, um, showcasing their incredible flaws, um, you know, we had uh, Pakistan showcasing their flaws in England. Uh, we'll chat about that. We'll chat about Bangladesh's win over uh, Zimbabwe. We'll touch on that. And of course, India women, as you mentioned, great series leveling win uh, against the good England team. And yeah, we'll touch on our special interview a little later. Um, that'll be in the second half of the podcast. So listeners, Stay listening to the podcast and, and we'll let you know what's what's to come in this episode. Um, yeah, we'll start with Australia. The tweet from the great cricketer uh, over uh, the weekend um, on, on the Saturday was, even when I'm not playing, this uh, sport still ruins my Saturday. And um, I just knew it was going to happen Saturday morning. You know, we were four for 108, cruising. And then once McDermott, um, Christian... Uh, Mitch Marsh, they all want to play big shots and get out. I knew exactly what was going to happen. It was the only way that the West Indies were going to win that first match was, was 10 wickets. And it, yep. what did I say last week on uh, on the episode? I said, when the situation demands it, you've got to play with some cricket smarts. Australia only needed four and, four and over uh, in the last 10, completely butchered it. Came back the next day and couldn't bat 20 overs either. Um, before I go on a massive rant, I'll let you get a word in. Uh, the, the only positive thing that I can I can actually pick from this uh, first couple of T20s is that this is not the T20 11 that's going to play in the World Cup later in the year. So that's a that should be a relief for the Australian fans. Well, at least at least a few of the players will be coming back. You know, players like your Pat Cummins and hope. Do you, now does, do you think Steve Smith's decision of focusing on Ashes is, is a good idea? If this is if this is the lineup that's going to go to the T20, you, you never know. But um, and you know, but again, having said that, these, these youngsters, Josh Philippe, Ben McDermott, you know, um, by no means Dan Christian is a youngster, but he's the most experienced in that in that batting lineup. So it, it's not a it's not a new brand new t20 side it's not a t20 side in oh, transition or players who've got a lot of big t20 experience in that team exactly i'll, I'll before you go on your rant Chabel, i'll just say this <laughs> that um it's going to be 4-1 in west indies favor I, i'm sorry but i just you know I, i've i this morning i was thinking five nil but i'll i'll give the consolation win to australia uh just just because you know obviously i i, I'm, I love Australian team as well. I support them as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, just because of that, I'll give them a consolation win. I don't see them winning too many matches in, in, in the, in this T20 series. I don't see them winning too many sessions in this, uh, in this T20 series. So, uh, but yeah, you can go on, please continue. What, what, what do you make of the um, first two T20s? Well, I'll make a point about your first point about this being not the side that's going to go to the T20 world cup. But I will tell you that the middle order of Australia has been a real problem for us even before this series. It's been very inconsistent. There's, there's, there's no way that you can go into a game as a fan or a spectator 
and say, I expect Australia to have a complete performance today because that's rare. You look at this series, the first half of the innings, particularly with the ball, we've been very good, then we've fallen away. And then the less said about our batting, the better. But the, but the middle order has always been a problem for us. I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow if Australia come out and put a good performance. We were 2-0 down in New Zealand earlier in the year and we came back and, 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 made, and drew it to all before New Zealand won the last match. But it's the inconsistency that's the problem with this Australian side. There are too many bad days, too many collapses, even in this format. You go back to England last year, the first T20 of that series, we blew it. You know, there was a game against India uh, last summer where we were right on top in the first match of the series and then we lost it. Um, it's just we can't put a complete performance together. We cannot put where, a complete where do you think together. Where do you think it's lacking? Is it is it the is it's, it the opening slot? Do you think David no, Warner is is much no, needed now? I mean, look, Aaron Finch's form is a worry. Um, you know, we, we had that issue with him before the 2019 ODI World Cup, but he found form before the tournament and then he went on and had a good campaign. So we're hoping he does the same here. The first game, we had an amazing start, mate. We, we were going over 10 and over in the first 10 overs. But the, yep. the issue was, was those wickets. It was that wickets column. It was the only way the West Indies were going to win. And the lack of game smarts and, 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 and game management was extremely disappointing because Ben McDermott has played a lot of T20 cricket. Dan Christian has played God knows how much T20 cricket yeah. around the world. What's he doing playing a shot like that, holding out to, um, to, to long on That's like right. that? You know, it's just yeah. cricketing smarts. We lost six wickets for 19. That was as many brain cells that were on show, you know, in that batting yeah. performance. Um, where it's going wrong, in my opinion, is we cannot seem to arrest a collapse. A wicket falls, two or three, four quickly. That's a problem. It's been a problem for us across formats as well. There's just a lack of ability to come in and just stem the flow a little bit. When we lose I, the I momentum... I never thought I would hear that about Australia. Mate, ever but, since yeah, Mike Hussey, mate, ever since Mike Hussey retired, we just haven't been the same. You know, he's the one that kept it nice and solid in the middle absolute champion of the game and we really miss a player like that you know and Mike Hussey doesn't come around all that often and such was our strength in cricket over the years that Mike Hussey couldn't even get into the team yeah. he only got into the Australian team in his late 20s early 30s um, we just can't seem to arrest the flow when, when we lose momentum we cannot get it back and that's a serious problem um, just putting a question before we move on, just putting yeah. a question on, on going back on Finch, just putting a question to you is I, I have some stats in front of me and what stats say is in the past two years, let's, okay, let's take a mm. step back. Only in 2021, mm. um, Finch has a better record than Matthew Wade. So Finch has played at an average of 34, which which is not the best, but you would, you would, you know, you would take that given how Finch was going a few, few months ago. Um, and Wade has, has an average of 26, albeit he has an, he has a strike rate of 150, whereas Finch has a strike rate of 129. Was, was this for this year? You said 2020. This is just 2021, um, which is obviously strike rate's more important in T20, but where's, so my question is, when David Warner does come back, does Finch drop down or does Wade drop down? No questions asked. Uh, probably Matt Wade. I don't know if he gets into the team, to be honest. When um, you know Warner comes back, Smith comes back, and the other players, because this year has been an opportunity for Matt Wade. He still has a chance, I guess, to really grab that opportunity. He's made starts. Yeah. He's got in, but he hasn't gone on. Finch, apart from a few knocks in New Zealand, like you know, he's been mostly out of touch. Um, yep. You know, you go back to the big bash last year, terribly out of form as well. That's a concern. But do you want, as you mentioned last week with South Africa, do you want to change a captain in the format so close to a World Cup? I don't think Australia would do that. Yeah. Neither will they change the coach. There's talk, you know, among the cricket Australian cricketing fraternity, maybe there's a, a change needed uh, at the coaching level. But honestly, there's enough experience, mate. There's enough experience and know-how in that team to manage a run chase, a four and over in the last 10. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talk about a T20 anchor and fair enough. It's a fair argument. You know, the, the, the argument of Steve Smith in the team or Amanis Labuschagne in, in the team. I don't argue against it, 
but sometimes it's used as an excuse to sort of let the players who are there off the hook a little bit and say, oh, they're not yeah. anchors. They play that way. It's the way they play. It's okay. And uh, I, It's I letting them off lightly. Exactly. exactly. And, but I would also even go as far as saying that it's a bit disrespectful and insulting to the players who are actually there. 100%. It's basically saying they're not capable of managing yeah. a situation like that where accumulation, the field is spread. You don't. You need four and over. You're good enough. You'll hit a boundary every over as well. You'll finish it easy. Keep the ball yep. on the ground. Don't you don't have to play stupid, especially when you're losing a couple of wickets and you're thinking, okay, we just need to stay calm here because if we lose a couple more, the West Indies are going to get a leg up and they're going to win this game. I don't know if we've batted 16 overs in the first T20. We lost by 18 runs. Just yep. terrible game management, you know. And it, we can say get a T20 anchor in. But someone like Dan Christian with all his experience can surely manage that situation. Yeah, Mitch Marsh had yeah, just crossed yeah. the half century can manage that situation. So we're in a mess. Touching, touching on Mitchell Marsh, Marsh, a Marsh brother finally. Yeah, he's playing well. He's Australia. Playing well. So what, what, what do you, does he, is he in your T20 side that goes to the World Cup? Um, look, it depends on Steve Smith's availability. I think he probably will get in depending. Let's, let's actually, assume actually, Steve Smith's not playing. Let's assume oh, Steve he'll get Smith's in for sure playing. if Steve Smith, might, and he'll probably get that number three spot given how well he's playing there at the moment. So he's scored three half centuries in four games on this tour if you include yep. the intra-squad matches. And he's looking good but touch. What's the, what's the, now, I don't know if you, you know, if you have the answer to this, but I, it's worth asking because I'm, mm. I'm confused. What's so the, am I, brother. So am I. <laughs> what's the point behind sending Marsh at three and Philippi at four? Uh, and yeah. When Australia has been searching for a finisher. Yes. And I don't think, I, I, I'm not saying Dan Christian can't do that job, but he hasn't been doing that job. So, uh, and Mitchell Marsh can do that job as we have seen in, you know, in, in his early years. So yes. is that, have Australia missed it? And I know Marsh has performed brilliantly at number three, but is that his spot? Well, he's making it his own at the moment. I think he enjoys the, I, look, I think as a number of Australian players, they enjoy the opportunity to bat up top because there's not that pressure of coming in in the middle and having yep. to go straight away. That's what yep. Australia struggles with. It's when we lose a couple of wickets in the middle overs and we get a new batsman in and they can't get going, the pressure gets to them and they get out. Mm. You know, and Mitchell Marsh is enjoying that at the moment. Josh Philippi at four or five or in the middle order doesn't work for me. He's, he's played his whole T20 career at the top. So yeah. you're asking a kid against a good West Indian team to bat out of position and perform. That's why there's a big missed opportunity for a player who performed well at number four in the Big Bash last year and performed very well down the order in uh, domestic cricket was Josh Inglis. Yep. Not picking him in an extended squad was a big missed opportunity for Australia because he was the guy who was performing well, batting at number four for Perth Scorchers, batting down the order for, for Western Australia in List A cricket. He's got that experience. He's got that bit of a taste of batting there. Josh Philippi is an opener in T20 cricket. You're asking and a is, lot of is, is Ashton Turner that man to finish the job? He could. He's done end. it before. He's done it before. But unfortunately, since that 2019 ODI series against India, if you recall, he won that game for us yep. in incredible yep. fashion. He just hasn't been the same player. It's been a big shame because he's capable of doing it, man. We've yep. seen it before. Australia desperately needs a finisher. I'm happy to see, look, in a way, I'm happy to see Dan Christian there because he's got the experience of batting in that position. But it's yep. the lack of cricketing smarts that I've seen in this series, even from an experienced player like that. And, and, and then the, the conversation is going to go back. You know, it, it, it keeps going back to that. Oh, but we don't have Warner. We don't have Maxwell. We don't well, we have can't you know, keep these, making excuses. This, this, we exactly. Can't. And my point is countries around the world boast about the bench strength. Yeah. And then this is how bench strength is, you know, it comes into play where experience is, directly related to bench strength. Once they get experience at a, at a good level, that's how you create the bench strength. You know, Indian bench strength or the English bench strength is not just, you know, it's not pulled out of thin air. You know, they have played at a good level. They have played yeah. India A, they have played IPL. So what's the, what's the, uh, you know, and obviously I'm not saying that this is the squad that's going to the T20 World Cup, but um, what, Come 2024, 25 T20 World Cup, yeah. the, these are the players who will be 
in the in your first playing eleven. So, um, how do you how do you where do you see Australia? Especially, let's stick to the T Twenty format now. Where do you see Australia's T Twenty um, fortunes, if you want to call it, going in the next let's say three years? With based on based on the performance in you know in in 2021 yeah and yeah yeah um if if we go along the same trajectory as we're going now we're not going to have any success in this format simple as that we've yeah. got far too many holes in this team to be able to perform on a consistent basis and in big games in big tournaments um we've, we've spoken a lot about the batting i'm not talking about the bowling yet the, the form of mitchell stark continues to be a significant concern our death bowling continues to be a major worry. How many runs did we concede in the last 10 overs of the um, the second match? Well over 100. Well over 100. Definitely. You know, what are these people trying to do to us on a Sunday morning in a lockdown Sydney, you know? Give us something to, to get excited about. But um, And why do you think There's some Australia key questions to answer keeps... over the next few years, yep. man. There's some key questions to answer. It's, it's the... We need to, to sort out that middle uh, order. We need to develop consistency in our game. And we need to have players who play according to the situation. As I said before, it's no excuse to say, this is the way I play. It's not an excuse. Yep. If you're in a situation where you only need four and over and you can't finish the job, then I'm sorry. You know, There's a case to say that maybe you don't deserve to be playing for this team. If you're yep. not willing and, to put in the and, and put in the, the right cricketing smarts to get the job done. So yeah. One change, I think one one change that I would like to have have happen in this playing eleven would be, and this I'm purely speaking on West Indies' last two T twenty series against Sri Lanka and South Africa against the Risbana. We we can all, all already see yes. Zampa is the in the playing eleven. But, um, but with Obviously, with Hazelwood, Christian, and Mitchell Marsh, those three can cover the fast bowling side of things. Whereas you, with, with Stark's form, I don't know why they, you know, why Australia and Langer keep persisting with Mitchell Stark at the moment. Um, so, is there, is there, do you see any merit in dropping Mitchell Stark and putting someone like a Mitch Swepson in there with, you know, Swepson, Agar, and um, Sampa taking the spinning role? And then obviously you have Dan Christian and, um, Josh Hazelwood, who has done Josh Hazelwood has bowled really good in this series, so they can look at the you know fast bowling side of things. The reason why Lango and Co stick with Stark is the same reason why an IPL franchise or you know will take a risk and spend a huge amount on Mitchell Stark because of the potential that he delivers or the potential that he has. The problem with Mitchell Stark is, I've said it before. He wasn't even swinging the red ball and he's been trying to find some swing in the power play overs. He hasn't been able to do that. And his finishing with the ball has been a real struggle. He's gone for over yeah. 10 and over in both games without a wicket. I, If you want to drop him, I think it, it would depend on the conditions on the day because you're asking, you're going to be asking then Josh Hazelwood, Christian and Marsh to, to, to do well for you at the death as well. And I think Hazelwood and, and Christian have been okay in that area where Stark has struggled. Uh, I don't know. It depends on the faith of the, of the management for Stark. You know, do they see him as a critical part of that T20 World Cup plans? If you do, then you've got to persist with him and, yep. and see, get him on the field and just back him and try to get some confidence back into him. Because if you drop him now and you think he's going to be part of your T20 World Cup plans, then I don't know if that's the best move because what will that do to his confidence? I think it's already pretty fragile. Um, we can go on and on about this. Um, a um, question I would like to take actually for yeah, you, let's go uh, to the Shabel, from, from one of our listeners, um, at Crick Crazy Addy. Do you think all problems will be sorted out when Warner and Maxwell get back into the T20 international team? No, because they've been in the T20 international team before, but we still have the same issues in terms of collapses, in terms of inconsistency, but fantastic white ball players, not, not denying that. And Australia will be stronger with them in the team, but it's Maxwell at batting at four. What's, what's the, um, what's the combination from Maxwell down? We still don't have those questions answered. Do we, you know, what's our death bowling looking like? There's so many other questions to answer. It certainly helps the team, but it doesn't make us the complete package. 
And and further to that, actually, just uh, it's that your answer is actually a perfect segue into my next question from uh, Robin at Robin underscore rounder. Australia really looks far away from being a settled team mm. in the international squad. True. Do you think it's because they haven't been serious about the format? BBL can help a lot in that, but it needs improvement in quality, competitiveness. Your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, from an international perspective, we haven't taken the format particularly seriously over the years. It's always been test cricket that's reigned supreme and then ODI cricket to follow. Um, in terms of the Big Bash, well, we all know that the big TV rights deal and the decision to basically double the length of the Big Bash season was, I don't think it's had a very good effect on our T20 cricket. You know, I think you look at back at it now, it's a decision that's based on financial reasons rather than progressing our white ball prowess because I don't think we've improved at all over the last couple of years when we've seen the big bash really be extended in length. And that's impacted the quality of it because you've got a lot of players who are unavailable um, for a long part of the season and it's a long season. I think the big bash was at a better quality when it was everyone plays each other once. It was a maybe a four-week tournament. Interest in it was a lot higher. The quality of it was better. Yeah. We're not seeing that at the moment. It's a serious issue. The quality of the Big Bash is a problem. Right. So uh, moving on to give you some respite, there was some other cricket played and, um, well, actually not giving you any respite because England won pretty comfortably at the, <laughs> at the other side of the world. So yeah. um, what, what, what do you make of the England-Pakistan ODI series? Obviously, the first one, uh, Pakistan was convincingly beaten by nine wickets, uh, bowled out for 141. Uh, we saw some new faces in the England squad um, due to the recent um, mm. COVID issues in the uh, in and around the bio bubble there. So um, any anything you, any anyone in particular really impressed you? Um, I know, yeah. um, you know, Pakistan, England's fast bowler, Saqib Mahmood was really good mm. with four for in the first test. Even Lewis Gregory really bowled well. Um, really like to hear your thoughts on, the, on that, on that, on those two audios. Yep. Before I quickly touch on England, Pakistan, there was a question we received from Arnav Verma at cricket. Arnav, he, he said, yep. if it does Steve Smith deserve to make the T20 side? I did say before, I'll quickly touch on this. I did say before that, you know, a T20 anchor, it can work in a T20, obviously, but it's still not an excuse to, um, you know, uh, say that the other players are because they didn't have an anchor. It's all good what they did. I think Steve Smith at his best. I've said it before. He's a good T20 player. Deserves to be in the side and it helps the Australian team, if, especially if he can hold things together. So yeah. that's my thoughts on that one. Um, in terms of England-Pakistan, well, you know, I expected, obviously, as, as many others did uh, before the series started for Pakistan to win it. You know, especially when you saw the news of, of England going in with basically a, a, a new look team, nine uncapped players and all that. I was expecting Pakistan to win, but I'm not surprised that they're 2-0 down because that's the nature of Pakistan, isn't it? You know, they've been woeful in the two matches. Batting has been a major disappointment. And, and to be fair with Pakistan, they can come back in the next uh, ODI and score yeah. 450 and, you know, bowl yeah, out yeah. Sri Lanka for 150. So, England. Um, sorry, bowl out England yeah. for 150. Yeah. So, um, that's the Pakistan we Pretty know. Much. That's the Pakistan we have seen. So, And, and they, they, they were on their way to win the second one you know, having uh, Sri Lanka, sorry, I, well, I don't know why I keep saying <laughs> Sri Lanka, but uh, ha having England 7 for 160, um, then we saw a little partnership between Louis yep. Gregory and I think it was um, uh, Bryden Cars. He's yes. the new, new, new kid on the block. So, um, yeah, that, that again, you know, from a, from a winning position, they lost um, Pakistan. So I hope at least in the third ODI, they gave a good fight. Um, well, we'd really like to see that. Yeah, I was saying about Australia, how we've got serious consistency issues, even within the same game. We have good moments, then yep. we have terrible moments. The way Pakistan started with the ball, they got a couple of early wickets, but then the way they bowled to Phil Salt and James Vince, the amount of short, wide rubbish that mm. we saw um, on a pitch that had movement. You know, there was, you know, there was rain around, overcast conditions. Yep. There was a bit of juice in the pitch at Lords and Pakistanis were all over the place. You know, credit yep. to Vince and, and Salt. They played with great timing. Then Pakistan mm. come back in the game and then they let it slip again. It's just 
complete inconsistency from Pakistan, even within the match itself, you know, and that's just, um, that's just what we have to come to expect from them. They can come back now and go on an amazing run and be the dark horses in the T20 World Cup and come out of nowhere because that's what they do. Um, yeah. From England, Saki Mahmood now, I think, you know, I know Tom Curran took four wickets in his last ODI, but Saki Mahmood has to be ahead of Tom Curran in the pecking order. This guy oh, looks definitely. like he looks like he's uh, a genuine wicket-taking option at all stages of the innings. And where ODI cricket is going now, You've got to take wickets in the middle overs to be competitive. If you're not taking wickets in the middle, you're going to, you're going to cop it at the death. So someone like a Sakib Mahmood should look or should have a really good look in even into England's uh, first team. So credit to him and credit to England. Their depth is, is amazing. They push clear further in the Super League and um, could easily be 3-0. We'll just have to wait and see what happens tomorrow. Um, question, last question on this series. Mm. Um, England's bench strength in the white ball format again, really brilliant. Why and why can't they transfer that to the red ball format? Uh, you know, we have seen some horrible bench strength from them in, in mm. the recently concluded uh, series, and I know they're two completely different formats. But talent doesn't change, does it? Like skill doesn't change. Um, you do require certain skill sets in the you know in yeah. different formats, but your overall skill level remains the same as, a, as an individual player and your overall talent remains the same. What changes is your experience and your mindset um, on how to approach the game. So, and we have seen that with India where they have, mm. you know, they have pen strength across formats. Like even in the, um, you know, Sri Lanka series from next week that's starting, I think the, the squads that, can pretty much beat anyone on their, on any given day. So yep. uh, what, what do you, why the, why so much uh, difference? Um, I think what you were saying about mindset, I, I, I don't think England shift the mindset well enough from white ball to, to red ball. Um, in the white ball format since 2015, England have had an attitude of play your way. If you get out, so be it. Yeah. And in test cricket, it's a completely different kettle of fish. You can't say, if I get out, so be it. And they just haven't been able to transfer that and have a strong enough mindset to overcome difficult circumstances in test cricket. Mm. And it's showcased in their, in a lot of the records of their batsmen. You know, they're able to get in, they're able to spend some time at the crease, but then, you know, a wicket's around the corner or a flurry of wickets are around the corner. And ultimately, England's significant focus and priority in terms of the white ball formats is showing here, because if you're resting players for a series against New Zealand, then you're playing a full strength side to play Sri Lanka, where even a second string side would beat them. It just goes to show the priorities in white ball. So when you're really focusing and prioritizing white ball, you're going to be better in white ball and your red ball game is going to suffer. That's where England are at the moment. They always say ashes, ashes, ashes. We're going to focus on that. We want to make sure we're strong for it, but I don't see evidence of that. You know, we talk about Australia's woes. We talk about Australia's woes, but, um, you know, even Australia now in their current state would, would beat this England side if they don't get their act together, especially with the bat. You've got to score runs here in Australia. Yeah. You're not going to win scoring 250. So yeah. we'll see what happens there. Um, in terms of test cricket, we had a test match. Um, it was an interesting one. I, I felt, you know, they're, they're rivals in, in international cricket, these two teams. We'll touch on this quickly. Um, Bangladesh getting a win against Zimbabwe. There were a few little stats highlights in here. I don't know if you saw the partnership between Brendan Taylor and the debutante Caetano. Um, yeah, quite a few glimpses of it. So I was watching it and Brendan Taylor was, well, Zimbabwe were chasing 477 in the final links. And if he continued to bat well into the last day, I wouldn't have counted out even as Zimbabwe win. That's how good this guy yeah. was playing. That's yeah. how good he was going. Um, but this Caetano is the uh, Zimbabwean Pujara. Um, Brendan Taylor and, and this guy, Kaitana, who's on his debut, they had faced, I think at one stage, well, I remember there was a 66 balls. They both, they both had faced 66 balls. Taylor was on 87, not out, and uh, Kaitana was on two. So I've, ne- I've never seen that before in, um, in a top-order partnership. Have you? No. Nah. No, never seen that. I don't think that. so. No, you think you, you, you associate that. that with a batsman playing with a tail ender or something? 
Um, yeah. For Bangladesh, the message the message is clear for me. It's sort your act together when it comes to fast bowling and build a pace attack around Taskan Ahmed because he's got he's got talent. Um, his battle with Blessing was Rabani. I don't know if you saw that bit of he can dancing. Dance. He can he, dance. They can both dance and they can both um, <laughs> face off. I thought there was going to be a bit of UFC there in Harari. But but for me, it's it's all well and good winning with your spinners. And I thought Shakib and Mahedi were good there. But if you want to challenge big teams away from home, you've got to have a pace bowling department. And it's time for them to build an attack around Taskin. This guy's got potential. Um Mamadullah scored 50, 150 on his return and then decided to retire midway through the test. Um, the BCB president said he wasn't happy with it, but that is typical he's, Bangladesh. He's ne- never happy. <laughs> he's never happy, is he? <laughs> so it's a win there. I think it's their 15th win in history. Um, probably 80% of those against Zimbabwe, with all due respect. Um, what the match showed me was just how long both a longer way to go both teams have to be, you know, forces in test cricket. They need yeah. opportunities, but they also need a domestic structure, which I don't think both countries have at the moment. So uh, I know ODI starting uh, there later this week as well. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, the women's good win for India. Yeah, great really good back. win. And I think, yeah, a great comeback from um, almost a losing position. And um mm. Yeah, really, I think it goes to show what a good start at this, you know, uh, sorry, not a good start, a good finish can do for a, for a side taking that, you know, momentum into the into their bowling. Um, and a really good start as well from Shefali Verma at the, at the top of the yeah. innings um, because uh, hitting Catherine Brandt for 5 fours is not is no mean task. So um, she really did did that well. And I hope now the third T20 is really evenly poised. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it's at anyone's game. So um, the Indian spinners are back back in form. Indian, although there was some poor bowling as well on, on at, at, in you know in parts um, where yeah. they were too they were either too short or too full. And uh, where England bat- batters were just picking them off for for boundaries behind square. So, um, but overall, I think a good performance from the Indian side. And for really just a shout out to Herlin Dale for her mm. brilliant, brilliant catch. And I that think everyone amazing. around the world just noticed that. And uh, yeah, it can definitely confuse the Americans um, on the Sports Center ESPN page. So I really enjoyed that. Yes, yes. And people forgot England win that won that first game. That's mm. how um, that's how good that catch was. Just a question, you know, a score of four for 148. Do you want to see India scoring more in a position where they, you know, they only lost four wickets? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, if you, uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you have so many wickets in hand at the end, I yeah. think you should, you should cross 160 yeah. Um, on any day, because I think with the lineup that we have, you know, you know, Shefali Verma at the top, Smriti Mandana, Herman, Herman Pritkor, um, you know, Dipti Sharma, Richard Ghosh, all can play their shots. Like it's, you know, yeah. but you know, Dipti Sharma playing at, at a striker of below hundred at, at a striker of 88, which was not really, mm. um, you know, uh, given the situation, she could have maybe played faster. I, I know she, uh, she tried her best, but, um, you know, they just have to keep coming up with new plans and new, yeah. they have to be flexible enough in their mindset to change uh, when, when the situation demands. So um, going forward, I think the third T20 will really show what, what they have learned from the, from the first and the second T20. And I think it, it, it's going to be anybody's game. I really can't predict who will win that. Yeah. I, I mean, it sort of goes back to our chat last week in our special feature episode with Radha Gupta. Um, guys, if you're listening to this podcast episode, I really recommend that you go back and, and have a look at that episode and have a listen because we're talking about, you know, if this Indian team gets more opportunities to play, you know, the potential is endless. And you look at, you know, we're talking here about where India can improve and, you know, we look at, they need to improve, but they can still leave England with a drawn test, an ODI win and potentially a T20 series win. That will be a very successful tour. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm sure you'd be happy with that as an Indian fan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Given the amount of cricket they have played over the last 12 months. I yeah, and you're playing against a very good team. England are very yeah. good and they're at home. So yeah. big, big opportunity for India to, to achieve something really special here and get a real confidence boost going forward. And 
hopefully prompt the BCCI to pay more attention to their women's team because there's the potential there and there's the attention there. You see it all over Mm. social media, plenty of chat about the cricket. So good to see. Um, In terms of the Indian men, um, the the Sri Lanka series was pushed back about a week because of a COVID outbreak in the Sri Lankan camp. Um, We received a couple of questions, I think, before we we go to our interview, our special interview in this podcast episode, we'll finish off with a couple of questions from, for that series looking forward. Um, from Atom Big Cricket Podcast at Atom Big underscore Crick. They ask us, will Sri Lanka give actually any competitive fight? I hope they can, but I doubt it. Yeah. It's really, really hard to predict. Can't see it, it. They're almost like Pakistan, isn't it? Like, no, really not even. At least Pakistan. Look, at least Pakistan have got some good moments in them. Yeah. Sri Lanka, yeah. they've barely had anything in England and I, I can't see them. Even in India, they're missing, you know, we, we see that they're missing their key players, a lot of them, but... yeah. If Sri Lanka give any competitive fight, then it would be a surprise. Um, an interesting question here from um, Aditya at Crick Crazy Adi. He says, which wicketkeeper will India go in, with the, in, in the initial game, Ishan Kishan or Sanju Samson? Um, interesting question, and I did have a bit of time to think about it. Is this it for the ODIs? Really, yeah, yep. And I think I really, I, don't, I, don't, I did not come up with an answer because I really don't know because both of them have this have the talent and you know both of them can keep really well like that that's probably i'll place them on the same level to some extent as players um obviously mm. both have different skill sets but you know um so it's, i mean what i mean is in terms of their mindset they are you know completely different batters mm. um but i really don't know because i'll i i would like to see Ishan Kishan as well, but I would like to, you know, see Sanju Samson get his dues as well because he has done a job for India when asked when he's asked uh, to do a job. Uh, he has batted, you know, the way he has batted in Australia last time he was asked, you know, he did not mm. bat out of off his own mind. He was asked to do that job, so you know um, he should get a chance at the top. I think if he plays, Sanju Samson should get a chance at the top to showcase to get as many balls to play as possible mm. and to showcase mm. what he, what he can really do. Um, and on, on just on, based on that, I think you can maybe play Sanju Samson as a batter, you know, that that's a, and you know, Rahul's not there, is he? No, nah, he's, nah, he's not there. No, nah, he's in England. Yeah. He's yeah. not there. So, yeah. um, yeah, it really depends because you obviously can't drop Surya Kumar Yadav as well. Like no he, chance. You know, no, he, 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 he's the first, probably the first name apart from Shikhar Dhawan to get on that list. So, um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see who Shikhar Dhawan opens with because uh, do you, will he open with Rutraj Gaikwad or, you know, Ishan Kishan can open, Sanju Samson can open, Prithvi Shaw is there as well. So, uh, it'll be a really interesting take. See the depth, how many options yeah. you have there. Exactly. That's why I can't see Sri Lanka being competitive. Hmm. Um, is maybe this is the last chance for Sanju Sampson to make a claim? He's had chances, he just hasn't really delivered. Yeah, maybe. It's a shame because yeah. he's got so much ability. But it's sort of it's same in the IPL too. It's like he's always been around the three hundred run mark where he can't quite go yeah. four fifty five hundred plus. Could be his last chance. Yeah, we'll see. But plenty of options. So good luck, Sri Lanka, as well. I'll say. Everyone, thank you for listening to our, our take of, of what's happening in the cricketing world at the moment. Um, and now we move on to our interview, which we'll see you through to the end of this week's show. So today we are going to chat with a fan who likes to ask other cricket fans about photos that make them happy, as his Twitter handle suggests, random cricket photos and videos. He likes to take his followers on a journey through photos and videos of cricket incidents and great moments. He's a great storyteller and also a quiz master but today we will be the ones asking the questions to Amit Sinha. Amit, welcome to the Crickball Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. And I'm so glad to be talking to two absolute cricket nuts. You're Thank in the you right so place. much. <laughs> so um, diving straight into it, Amit. The first question we like to know, uh, we, li- we like to ask all of our guests is why cricket and where did the journey start? You know, how did you fall in love with the game? Yeah, so to be honest, when I was growing up, there was not a lot of, uh, you know, not a lot of other sports that were particularly followed in India. Cricket was, of course, the biggest. 
and uh, yeah and i didn't have exposure to a lot of other sports i mean we used to me and my dad used to watch a lot of football but you know the world cups the euro but cricket was something that was on the television that and that's because the national broadcasters the doordarshan uh, is what we call it here they showed a lot of cricket back then and you know 90s was the era when like there was a lot of odi cricket happening there was a lot of uh, and all of that was telecasted so i had access to cricket so that was pretty much the only sport that i was exposed to at that age and uh, yeah then you know the the entire hero worshiping say around sachin tendulkar or uh, saurav ganguly or rahul dravid like those are the big cricketers of my era i mean of course that fascinated me and so from, there was that phase when i watched a lot of cricket i would like you know <laughs> i would take leaves from school or college or you know miss major things in my life just to watch a cricket match then there was another phase post 2008 9 when because there was so much of cricket and also i grew a bit uh, you know i grew up so there was not a lot of time to watch a lot of cricket then i moved into the reading phase okay i i read a lot of cricket and uh, when i entered college that reading came in handy because there was a lot of cricket quizzing happening in delhi university i was uh, in delhi universities i was doing political science as a you know my in my master, my masters in political science but i was very involved in the cricket quizzing circles and i was participant for those years of my college life but after that i started conducting quizzes and all of that required me to read more and more mm-hmm. so that's what that so the, the journey began from watching then reading then quizzing and now because you know because of the entire reading and quizzing there are a lot of stories to tell right i have a lot of things that i know and i feel you know those are things that possibly not people who are who are not very keen readers of the game would know and they are interesting stories you know they they should be told to a larger cricket audience and that's why i do what i do so you, you it's safe to say you grew up with mr charu sharma as well on doordarshan just like i did absolutely yeah charu sharma maninder singh arun lal yeah. all of these people were yeah they were they were always on the screens because there was so much cricket happening in the early 2000s yeah so uh before we move into the main topic for today is there any one particular moment of in in your cricketing journey that really made you okay this is the sport i love this you know this is amazing what a sport this is yeah i would i mean i keep going back to the 1999 world cup in which india fared really badly to be honest they didn't uh, make it past the uh, semi uh, sorry super sixes and uh, but of course as a six year old i i really didn't understand a lot of it but i watched saurav ganguly bat against sri lanka i watched rahul dravid bat against sri lanka and that 316 run partnership that that really attracted me towards the game and that gave me new heroes because look around me everyone was a sachin fan and possibly to be edgy or what i said no i mean sachin is fine like everyone loves sachin but i want to you know find my new heroes so those two innings and especially in those years uh, one after the other there was the 2002 natwest trophy there was the win against uh, australia in uh, adelaide so all those mm. moments were big but yeah the first i would say when i watched saurav and rahul dravid stitch that 316 run partnership against sri lanka that would be my you know yeah. i was sold um i mean in terms of you know the main topic today we want to talk about um cricket photos and, and videos and and iconic videos and photos that sort of stick in our mind when we we think about iconic cricketing moments before we talk about our favorite images and and videos what makes a great photo for you in, in cricket i would say that you know that understanding has changed or evolved as i have understood cricket photography so mm. what makes a photograph great you know it can be like there is a photograph of uh, ricky ponting pulling a ball oh, yeah. and it's a photo from photograph from the bridgetown test and he's wearing a jumper okay now for me you know for 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 a lot of others this might not be a great photograph it's just a batsman in action but the but the fact that he's wearing a jumper in the heat of bridgetown is you know there is some reason to it right so i go into that reason and i find you know like so for me the story behind the photograph has to be important yeah i there is this one particular photo clicked by ken kelly and the photo has uh, sid buller and another empire they are just walking towards the pavilion 
in the background there are three cricketers one of them is uh, uh, gary sobers okay now if you look at it the photograph has nothing okay it's from a county uh, championship match uh, i think 1967 or 63 now on the face of it the photograph is really just an average photograph but you know when you tell the story that that like when ken kelly actually uh, sorry sigular uh, walked back to the pavilion he went to the washroom and he never came back because he passed away in that match on, on that so that became his final photograph right so that's what i'm saying that it might not be really what is there in the photograph i mean there are absolutely a lot of spectacular photographs i mean the one that i can all that that i always go back to one that captures you know what cricket stands for me is the one where dale steen is being given a hand by uh, grant elliot after he hits him for, for the six yeah. in the 2015 yeah. world cup semi final yeah. but but it's so like that photograph is a self explanatory photograph you know it it tells what is happening and all of it it, it captures everything you know the beauty of the sport the brotherhood mm. the the heartbreak of a defeat and especially for a semi for a south african losing out to new zealand in a semi final all of that it captures but then there are photographs where you know what meets the eye there is slightly lot more you know mm. there is of, of, often lot more than what meets the eye so i enjoy those photographs a lot absolutely that's 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 such a great answer and just go, that's a perfect segue actually into my next question is what what is that one photo in your mind that has stuck with you it it may have happened last year it may have happened 20 years ago but it, you know that has changed your perception of cricket or that defines cricket for you look as we grow up our understanding of the game also evolves right and mm. uh, at the beginning of my affair with cricket it was just merely about entertainment but now as i have grown up i have experienced life i understand that there is so much more than just entertainment there are so many lives that are affected by it and uh, so i i like those stories and especially the ken kelly photograph of sid buller that i was talking about that one i am really like that shook me up when i read about it in uh, this this i mean i first came across it in the book of uh, patrick eger written by ryan christian or christian ryan i don't know i always mess it up but yeah it's the book is called feeling and yeah when i came across that story and then i read up about it it really shook me up but again you asking me about one particular photograph and that's why i said that cricket has now begin to mean more than entertainment for me so there is this one photograph this is uh, clicked by this photographer called david munden english photographer so he okay i'll just give you a bit of context what david yeah. munden was he was a leg spinner he used to yeah. play for i guess leicestershire or lancashire one of those so <clears throat> i and uh, and then he moved towards cricket photography in the 90s and uh, there is this moment in the in uh, west indies tour to england in 1991 when the ball hits the wickets but for some reason the bales don't come off and the batsman is i guess gordon greenwich and you know he just like turns back bends down as if to kiss the bales you know just to express his gratitude and because yeah. west indian cricketers were such showmen right so he does that and then he goes back to playing cricket now there is a photograph taken by david munden of that particular moment where he's just about to kiss the bales okay and you know when you look at the photograph you don't understand much of it right what is happening but when you watch the video you realize that that thing happened in like you know split second right now david munden uh, in the subsequent years i mean he was a brilliant photographer throughout the 90s and 2000s but that man who used to bowl leg spin that man whose reflex reflexes were so sharp that he took that photograph he uh, he developed parkinsons and at a very like i guess less than 60 he he passed away because you know it was a long battle against parkinsons that he could not win so to think of it that you know there was this person who had those sharp reflexes to catch that little moment in time mm-hmm. that tells so much about and that tells so much about cricket photography to me that tells so much about how much he loved that game and yeah so it, as i said that for me you know uh, the photo that defines cricket does not need to be an extraordinary one it is about what it captures what story yeah. it has behind it that is so true and that is that is so true that is such a brilliant answer and, and just one more uh, one yeah. more uh, just uh, an addition to this 
there are a number of photos so when uh, ben holyock made his debut against australia and in that odi he smashed one all over the place i think he scored 63 of 49 balls right yeah so there are photos of that innings of ben holyock that have been captured by david mundell and you know both of them passed away too early so you see those photographs and you see that possibly on on the face of it there is nothing more than you know what meets the eye but when and as that's why i said that those are things that you realize when you grow up that you know the 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 bit that okay this is this is life that you are in your glory and pomp and few few months later few years later you're not even there yeah yeah all of that yeah it reminds me of uh, you know philip hughes's last innings playing in the shield and play him, him in action um yeah you know, and now he's forever 63 not out and you look back at those photos and it's just brings all those emotions and you share those stories with so many cricket fans i guess for you i mean that must be a very rewarding part of, of what you do to to have fans who are just as passionate as you also share their own perspective of how they see cricket photos and discuss those with you that is the most beautiful part to be honest i yeah. and you know that and that is what photos allow actually mm. and that's why you know i mean the twitter account does have a lot of videos which i uh, post very regularly but my facebook page is largely about photographs and it is only about photographs i i don't even post other opinions or anything yep because for me like that is the beauty of a photograph that i can look at it look at it one way but someone else can interpret it their own way and you know the thing that video does not allow is that it doesn't allow me to tell its story photograph allows me to do that right so but at the same time it like still it can draw such varied perceptions and interpretations and i totally enjoy engaging with them and uh, that's so true because my mind immediately goes to an incident from 2019 ashes um where we saw this photo of josh butler and jofra archer together after jofra archer had just bowled a really lethal bouncer to steve smith and he was down on the floor and we mm-hmm. saw archer in this kind of a i exactly don't know what words i can use but you know like a really awkward smile on his face yeah. with josh butler next to him and uh it's sort of two people come to mind immediately is one is obviously josh uh, josh and then the next one is sean abbot who really bowled the bouncer to philip hughes uh, yeah. a few years ago you think of you know both of them like how yeah. how that and that photo really tells us uh, tells a lot because for, from jofra's perspective that's really scary for him as a bowler you know mm. even for sean abbot how did he make a comeback will he able will he be able to bowl a bouncer to any other batsman ever and yeah. obviously he's playing cricket now but back then we did not know answers to this and that's coming back to your point of a photo tells so many stories and mm. you know it it can tell it you can interpret that as one thing and i can interpret that as another thing it's just beautiful even in even in a sport which is you know um uh, backed by stats backed by facts the uh, photos and you know a, a photo which is which is interpreted by may, may millions of fans in millions of different ways it's it's so true and i just um want to while you're here while we have you um i want to share my photo which uh really defined cricket for me as a, as a young kid it was obviously like you said earlier you, you know uh sachin tendulkar was a hero for other people and he was certainly a hero for me coming growing up in mumbai obviously i was going to follow him uh but there's this one photo of his stance which if i can show you this and uh, it's from yeah, his yeah. 2002 end power series in england mm-hmm. and uh why that photo def- you know defines not only batting but cricket for me is because like you said earlier there's so many hidden stories behind the photo and this photo really shows me like in cricket at any given point yes it's a team sport yes you have 10 other players on your team but at any given point you are an individual you are alone mm. uh in your space doing your thing because it doesn't matter if there's brettley if there's you know andy roberts if there's jofra arch at the other end as a batsman you are going to yep. be alone your non striker is not going to help you play the ball or True. when the ball goes high up in the in the in the air under lights there's 50000 people you know screaming your name as a fielder you are still alone you still have to catch the ball or 
whether you whether the bat, batter need you know needs three runs from one ball, you are alone as a bowler. You have to bowl the ball. So that that really put things into perspective for me as a, as a player as well and as a follower of the sport. You know that doesn't matter what happens. You are an individual. You have to you know write your own destiny. That's a cliche, but I'm going to use it. Uh, you have to write your own destiny in cricket, and you know ultimately you have you have to be a little selfish to win games for your team yeah and uh, that's why i love that photo but going away from that actually just before why... you go away from that just yeah, one yeah, more yeah. thing that i wanted to add uh, th- this series in fact has some of the best photographs of sachin as well as rahul dravid because these exactly. were taken by patrick yeah. eger so yeah and uh, the the skies were such you know the, the lighting and all of it, it it's Absolutely. really beautiful photographs there is a photo of sachin pulling uh, through yeah. wicket and my god these are such gorgeous looking photographs and yeah. just a few days ago in fact few weeks ago i was sending all these photographs to a, another friend of mine who is a big sachin fan and like and also this photo particularly the one that you showed this is i guess uh, if you just remove the face you can totally put it in a textbook for like perfect technique right the balance yeah, yeah. everything Definitely. looks so perfect Definitely. right so technically this that. man yeah that it also represents that peak that you know sachin tendulkar achieved with his technical flawlessness and uh, yeah that's something very special that, to me that's what i was going to yeah, say as well that's what i was going to say absolutely. as well because when i was looking at that photo i'm looking at years and years and years of 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 perfection and practice yeah but also you see nash talking about sachin as an individual yep a different perspective is this man's looking calm with the weight of a, thousand, a billion people the weight of expectation with a billion people on his shoulders but he's still looking calm at the crease that's the way i perceive it he looks so calm even though people pin their hopes on him back then as well as a key as a key batsman in the side so it's just amazing how different photos can be interpreted in different ways as as you guys mentioned and funny you should say that because my perception again changed like you said amit a few minutes ago that perception keeps on changing mm. in the years and years after you follow the game my you know back uh, in 2011 i was i think i was 18 um when we won won the world cup and that day my perception again changed not because um we won the world cup but because of something happened after we won the world cup so there's this photo of uh, virat kohli carrying sachin tendulkar on his shoulders mm. um but not it's not the photo it's the story behind the photo and amit you will certainly remember this because virat kohli in his interview before he said well he has carried the burden of the shoulder for 22 years it's time we carried him on our shoulders and that really defined me defined you know what this man was all about as a player as an individual like what he meant to the nation what he meant to his team and yes i said that you know cricket is after all an individual game when it comes to uh you know the situation but you still have to remember that who you're doing it for like you know the people behind you and the people why you know why you're doing it as well so that's those two photos are for me i think i'll carry them all my life there's there's all kinds of amazing photos out there but these two photos personally i think i'll definitely carry them um with me all my life so my question to you amit is from the 2011 world cup any particular moment uh that you uh, were you how, how old were you in 2011 eighteen eighteen so we, we are yeah all three of us are all the same us. age so yeah. um <laughs> any particular moment from that era pre i want to say pre 2013 um and post 2000 post 2000 actually in that sort of 10 10 12 years anything because those were the sort of the later years of sachin tendulkar's career and um gangoli's career dravid's career lakshman's career like all those fab four um certainly as an indian you grew up idolizing all of them so any any particular moment then that you have in mind i think 2011 world cup itself gave us some really wonderful photographs and uh it's also uh, i mean look we all know the passion with which these cricketers played that world cup because we all know that they all wanted to win it for sachin right and that passion gets captured in these photos when you see that oh. photo of yuvraj singh after hitting that winning shot against australia in the quarter final 
you yeah. see that passion when you see uh, harbhajan celebrating after dismissing afridi in the semi final in at mohali you see that passion so yeah i think there are like 2011 world cup gave us those photos and then in in contrast to all of that we see mahendra singh dhoni and we were i was talking to the photographer of that photo uh, mahendra singh dhoni hitting the last ball for six and yuvraj singh you know he on the other hand like absolutely going berserk with his celebration because of course they have won the world cup it's the biggest achievement that as a cricketer you could think of and uh, yeah so it's such a brilliant photograph because we see what what that world cup has meant for this these people in yuvraj singh's reaction and on the mm. other hand dhoni is just calm as a cucumber and that's that's well captured in the photograph by indraneel mukherjee so yeah that that's that's a great great photograph i absolutely love it and just going back to you know your previous uh, uh, thing about virat say, having that to say about sachin that just reminded me of another photograph not not popular at all but uh, uh, 1996 india touring england and the lord's test the de- debut test for such uh, saurav ganguly was also the final test of dicky bird and dicky bird is as big a cricket tragic as we know right yeah. so he started the match by you know he was he was crying he was in tears when he uh, started the match and when the match ended also he was in tears so there is a photograph of sachin tendulkar and saurav ganguly they are on either sides of dicky bird dicky bird is still wiping his you know tears and uh, you know saurav ganguly has put a hand on his shoulders and sachin tendulkar is also so i really like that photograph because you know these are 25 26 year old 20 not even 26 actually 24 and 23 year old uh, cricketers fairly young and one of them even making his debut but to understand what that sport meant to that man and to have that sort of uh, an emotion there you know i really find that photo beautiful like it's just not and that's what you said in the previous thing that it's just not an individual sport like there is so much around there is so much emotion around that commands respect you know the love for cricket some people have that commands respect and probably that's what got that emotion out of these you know two young mm. men when they saw dicky bird crying so so yeah those those are some you know fabulous photographs that we have but again they're not very popular but uh, i hope they they get that popularity they do they deserve one photo yeah one yeah one photo from you with me uh Definitely, Curly Ambrose standing over Steve Waugh. Don't know if you can see that. Um, yeah, that's a magnificent photograph. Oh, and I'm thinking to myself, how the hell is Steve Waugh just standing there, um, just facing up to this guy? Because how many, <laughs> how many people did um, Curly Ambrose intimidate over his career? He's one of the all-time greats because of his intimidation factor. But there's Steve Waugh uh, standing his ground. And I think what that. sort of what stuck with me as a youngster growing up and when I saw that it's almost like Steve Waugh sent the message we're not going to um let anyone stand over us and we're not going to sort of let anyone walk over us we're going to make sure that you know we stand up to whatever is you know we are facing and Steve Waugh was one of the only probably was the only batsman to average 50 throughout the 90s it was really rare back then because it was a bowler's decade but what that photo showed is that Steve Waugh stood above the rest as he stood in front of Ambrose and Ambrose is about to as Ambrose said he's going to knock him out um so that that's one that really stuck with me because it represents so much about the Australian spirit back then um probably the less said about Australian cricket now the better but in terms of back then it was just it was just a fantastic way to say yeah, that was the Australian spirit we play the game hard and when we're faced with any sort of adversity we'll come back and we'll we'll dominate because Steve Waugh ended up having a great series then um Another one that sticks very very close to my heart is the the Edge Baston test of 2005 where Andrew Flintoff and Brett Lee embrace after the game. That's that's one that when I think of great cricketing photos when I think of a great game um I think of that one. Um I was 12 at the time and day 5 started with pretty much no hope from an Australian perspective. We only had two wickets in hand and needed about 100 to win. and we got within three runs or two runs and see Brittley get so close andrew flintoff um help england get it back into the series one all but still have the awareness to embrace brettley and help pick him up um i thought really encaptured the the true spirit of cricket and that was um that was one that, that stuck with me for a long time as well 
So it's just and beautiful. Amit, I think you will remember this as a as an Indian fan growing up in the '90s. How helpless we were when when we used to play Australia at times. When you know you get one batsman out, you have another. You have you get him out, you have third one. You get him out, and it just never ended. Like it, it just mm. never stopped. And that's one such you know one such moment that has stuck with me is going to be the 2003 World Cup. I can never come back from that ever. I love that. That uh, was a know, great night. <laughs> um, that, that was, you know, because... You are the minority sp- here, Shavit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the specific moment I remember from that, that match is the rain delay that happened. Um, mm. at, at, I think at some stage there was a rain delay. And I remember because in Mumbai, in, in the apartment building that I was staying, uh, the, the apartments next to us... um they got happy and they took out all the drums and everything and they went on the roads and they were happy that there was rain um and in in about 5 minutes uh, the players came back and started playing by that time the people who were with the drums had reached the end of the street and there was a there was a big screen at the end of the street so uh there they saw the game had already started so they ran back and we could hear them oh, the match has already started let's get thought, back i remember because the, the thought was there could be a replay or something the next yeah. day or something like that exactly. that was because yeah, as we know australia scored what 360 and, and obviously, that, that was it it was game over when tendulkar was out bad pointing's bad had spring in it so uh, <laughs> that was uh, uh, yes. that was something that was so that, that rumor spread across india like wildfire i, I mean oh, uh, amit would certainly remember that Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, I, I now I'm wondering why did you start the podcast with so many nice <laughs> memories and you're ending it with this memory where I I would not be able to go to sleep. So I know no. you're honest. One one moment that I have not revisited ever in my life is Sachin getting dismissed in that final. Yeah. He that's hit a, that's a, a heartbreaker against yeah. Glen Megra. And it's been 18 years now I have not watched the replay of that ball. I didn't watch it after he got out. but it still is there in my mind it's still yeah, it is in, and that's what i talk head. about yeah, that's what i talk about tendulkar with his stance i'm thinking you know he's got the weight of a billion people on his shoulders kind of thing you know that's what i see um um keeping so. ke- sorry keeping the tie in mind last question for you amit before before we let you go um 25 years down the line Mm-hmm. that one photo one moment across cricketing journey it may not have happened it may have happened right now uh, that one photo which you will stick on the last page of your diary that one photo ah that one photo that i'll pick i'll pick ben stokes yeah i'll pick ben, ben stokes 2019 i think it was a herculean effort and oh yeah whatever you know slice of luck he might have had but you know him celebrating and the in the background the crowd growing wild going wild yeah. it is mm. it made for such a beautiful photograph and it captured so much about the ashes so and of course ben stokes as a player is is an absolutely brilliant absolutely. cricketer so for me yeah smart smart there. i mean we're doing some some india bashing and now we're doing some australia <laughs> bashing because we we're, <laughs> we're reminding me of ben stokes but yeah i agree with you that's an iconic photo as well um i was down on my knees and devastated at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning but it's just when you look back at it you appreciate you appreciate what the achievement was through the photo absolutely and everyone can share in it as well and discuss it so i mean this is a fantastic chat um i mean thank you so much for for taking the time to to join us today we hope to chat to you more and we'll chat to you more in the future about this stuff it's fascinating and you know all the best with what you're doing you're doing some amazing stuff and and thank you for joining us today on the podcast same to you guys thank you so much thank you